My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. If you've been around here for the last several weeks, you know we've been going through a series called Our Father, where we've been walking through the, the, what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And, and Pastor Taylor has been leading most of that. And so just, as a, just, just to let you know up front, one thing that, that you'll soon see, and that is that I have nowhere near the energy of Pastor Taylor. <laughs> I don't know where he gets it. I just know I don't got it. You know, but, but isn't it amazing how he just, he's just delivering the goods, right? He's getting into it. He even gets down low, and he's just bringing it passionately and, and just bringing it to this. And I was like, whoa, if I tried to preach like that, I think I'd throw a hip or something. <laughs> Man, I got a couple of decades on him, but I don't think that's, I don't think I've ever had that much energy. So just give you a heads up about that, you know. But, but the great thing is we have a good God who uses all different kinds of people. We are instruments in his hands. And so I know that he would be able to, to, to use what I have to offer today. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us, and then as I, as I bring my prayer to a close, I want to invite all of us to pray together the Lord's Prayer as we have done the last several weeks. And so would you pray with me? Father God in heaven, you are the one who's, who provides for us. Jesus, you are the one who sustains us. Spirit of God, you are here among us. You are our teacher. So we worship a great God who right now is spinning galaxies playfully around the universe. You are that big. You are that great. And yet you are also near, you promise. You are here with us. It's your number one promise in the scriptures. You are with us. So we invite you, Spirit of God, would you be our teacher? Would you speak? Would you convict our hearts? And would you lead us out of here into more of life? And I pray that in Jesus' name. And then all of us together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't lead us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Well, my job this morning is to focus in on the fourth directive that we have there, or the fifth directive, I should say. The fifth one, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And I want to put up a different translation of this as well, from the, comes from the English Standard Version, which says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And I wanted you to see that, namely because maybe you memorized it in that version, which, which I have, and so that's maybe a more familiar version to you. But more importantly, I wanted you to see the, the contrast in translation between sins and debts. 
And you can know that the English Standard Trench version there, the debts, is actually a more direct translation to the original language, which was Greek. And that, so debts is actually a direct translation. It's not that sins is wrong. In fact, that indeed is what Jesus was talking about. But what, I, what you'll, we'll learn today is that this connection, this understanding of sin as debt is really important for us. And I love that we're going line by line through this prayer because if you're like me or if you're like many people, this is a prayer that you've memorized and it's easy to just kind of brush right on through it. And, and especially for this idea of forgiveness, I'm glad that we can stop and pause and look at it because I, don't, I, I would venture to say, my premise this morning as I start is, is that we don't really understand forgiveness, nor do I think we practice it as much as we think we do. And so to to motivate this idea, what I want us to do is to consider what happened to a man by the name of Jerry Sitzer. Jerry writes about his story in his book called A Grace Disguised. Jerry's world was irrevocably changed one night when a drunk driver crossed into his lane and hit his car head on, killing his mother, his wife, and one of his four children. His book provides a profound and moving description of someone navigating loss and grief by leaning into the grace of God. And so I just pause and say, if you've experienced loss of any kind, I cannot recommend this book enough. Please get it and read through it. It's a profound and moving teaching. But several chapters into the book, he confronts the challenge of forgiveness because he was wronged that night and he experienced a grave injustice. And as if forgiving a drunk driver who who kills your family members wasn't hard enough, he had the additional injustice of having that, that driver escape all responsibility through some clever legal maneuvering. And what I want you to do is I want to read his response after the trial when when this other driver was declared not guilty. This is what he writes. He says, During the months that followed the trial, I thought often about the driver of the other car. I fantasized reading reports in the newspaper that he had died hideously or that he had committed a crime that put him behind bars for life. I wanted to see him suffer and pay for the wrong I believed he had done. And do you have a problem with that? Can you relate to that? Put yourself in Jerry's shoes. Be in that space for a moment. Can you feel the injustice, the anger? Now I want you to consider, how eager are you to forgive? Now maybe something that happened to Jerry hasn't happened to you, but we all know what it means to experience injustice. And we all respond to it in various ways. And so I just want to walk through some of our common responses that we have available when we experience injustice. How do we respond? And the first option that we, that say most of us choose to, choose to turn to most of the time would be revenge. To seek revenge. Now, it's one thing to, to think about this in terms of the big injustices like Jerry went through, but it's another thing to think about this also in the everyday relationships that we have. And, and so just imagine for a moment that you and I were interacting and I offend you. 
Hopefully I haven't done it so far in my preaching. But, but let's just say we're interacting and, and maybe I say something harshly to you. Or, or maybe you find out later that I lied directly to you. Or maybe, maybe what I said to you, you found out that I was saying something different about you to somebody else. I was gossiping about you, okay? In, in, some, in other words, in some way I offend you, I wrong you. According to a perfect system of relational justice, I now owe you a debt. And you would be fully within your rights to demand repayment of the debt. This is actually written into the law of God. You may be familiar with the law of God given to the Israelites. Back in the, in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, those books there, back there. Well, in the book of Leviticus, it actually lays this out as a law. In Leviticus chapter 24, this is what we find. Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye. We're familiar with that phrase, right? This is where it comes from. A tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. That's a perfect law of relational justice. But there's a problem with this. Not with the law itself. It's perfect. But in our ability to carry it out. Okay, so in this case that I gave you, I offend you. You are fully within your rights to pay it, to demand payment, to bring justice to me. The problem is as you bring the response, you can't do it perfectly. And so while you're responding, you're actually adding sin into the equation, which means now you've sinned against me. Now you owe me a debt. Now I'm in my rights to bring, you know, to bring, to bring justice back to you. Of course, I'm going to do it with sin as well. So you're going to add another. You see where this is going, right? It's going nowhere. You're spinning your wheels pretty fast. And not only that, but we're losing a lot of eyes and a lot of teeth. <laughs> Seeking a just response only compounds the problem. So that's a popular option, though. We seek revenge. Another popular option that we turn to is to break the relationship. If you think of seeking revenge, we can think of that as the fight response to injustice. Breaking the relationship is the flight response. You hurt me, I'm out of here. Of course, the problem with that is if we leave every relationship where we experience hurt, we're going to be all alone rather quickly, aren't we? And living as a hermit has its own set of problems. The other problem we have is that we can't leave every relationship. For example, if a coworker offends you and you want to keep your job, you got to learn to live with that offense, right? We seek revenge, we break relationship, or maybe you rely on what we might call cosmic justice. The idea that there is a that the universe is a just universe and that you're going to get what's coming to you. A lot of us believe that. And quite frankly, it's more of a Hindu belief than it is a biblical or Christian belief. Without even knowing it, many of us actually believe more in karma than forgiveness. And, and if that's what you want, if you, if you want to live in a universe that's fair and just and, and, and rely on karma, just, to, just so you know, uh, it, the Hindu scholars have actually calculated with mathematical precision how long it will take for one person's justice to work itself out. So if you're wondering, they've calculated it, and it's going to take 6.8 million incarnations for you to work out the injustices of this life. Just wanted you to know that. Of course, I'm, I'm hoping for a better answer myself. There is a better answer, and it's found in the Bible, and it's called forgiveness. 
And though we intuitively, I believe, know this to be the best answer, we struggle to put it into practice amidst everyday real hurts. Now, granted, often us, you know, you've been around a church circles, we're familiar with this concept of forgiveness, and so we know we're supposed to forgive. And a lot of times, you may even say, yes, I do forgive. And I, and I would challenge that in a lot of ways, because I think that a lot of what we call forgiveness is actually a form of revenge under the pretense of forgiveness. What we're actually practicing is what I would call a forgiveness fallacy. Just four of them. There's probably more of them, but just I want to list four forgiveness fallacies that I believe we regularly engage in. The first one there, if you don't apologize first, I won't forgive you. If you don't forgive me first, I won't forgive you. Do you recognize these? The third one, if you don't forgive me enough, I will limit how much I forgive you. If the hurt is greater than anything I've ever had to forgive, I won't forgive you. We live out variations of these all the time and call it forgiveness, but it's, my friends, it is no forgiveness at all. And so when we go back to this prayer, Jesus is asking us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus has something very different in mind. Rather than basing my forgiveness on your performance, which is all those forgiveness fallacies, that's what they're doing. Rather than basing my forgiveness on your performance, I'm basing my forgiveness on God's performance. That's the connection. In fact, I want to focus on the, a very small word right in the middle of that stanza, that prayer, that maybe it's easy to look right past, and that's the word as. As. In the prayer, Jesus is saying, notice the, the order is, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. In other words, what we're asking God is, please forgive me to the level that I'm forgiving those around me. Does that scare you a little? It scares me a lot. And so what I want to do is I want to turn to another place where Jesus addresses forgiveness, where that word as is also featured. It comes later in his ministry. It's later in the book of Matthew. There's, this, there's a Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus is dealing with sin and, and what do we do when people sin against us? And, and then there's this place where Peter jumps in, and as Peter was likely to do, right? He jumps in and he asks a really important question of Jesus. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Peter came to him, meaning Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Great question. How often? Now, if, now if I'm answering, I think you get one, maybe two, right? I mean, I can forgive you once. You do it again to me, and oh, if I'm really righteous that day, maybe I'll forgive you twice. Three? Uh-uh. Right? We're not going beyond that. So I think Peter here knows that to be true as well. And Peter, wanting to be the all-star, wanting to be the A-plus student, goes for a big one. Seven times? Then just kind of sits back in his chair and thinks, Jesus, okay, are you ready to be impressed, right? I'm ready to be impressed. All your other disciples, you don't know what you're doing. Jesus is unimpressed. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And what you need to know, this isn't about counting to 490. Jesus wants to blow it out to where we understand forgiveness is a lifestyle. It's not something we keep track of and only go to a certain number, any number. This is about a lifestyle of forgiveness. I want it to be as regular and normal as breathing. And so then Jesus goes on as he often did. And he emphasizes this point by telling a story, what we often call a parable. 
He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And here's where we have that connection to this idea of debt, financial debt in particular, because sin can be compared to this idea of having, being in financial debt. And actually, forgiveness is a lot like, is, it means the same thing as canceling a financial debt. In fact, the, 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 in the original language of Hebrew, the common, or I mean, the, of Greek, the common language of Jesus' day, the term that he's, grab, that he's using here for forgiveness was a financial term. It was a regular banking term in the culture. It was a normal term in banking. And so that Jesus tells a financial story because we understand money. We understand money. So we go on, verse 24. He says, In the process, one of his debtors who was brought to him who owed millions of dollars. And this is the, the NLT's ver- way of, of communicating the number that Jesus had. He just actually had a number. And, and some of us would even say as much as $5 billion in today's terms. That's, what I, that's one thing I've seen. And, and so the, the idea here is this is a staggering amount. This is beyond the servant's ability to pay, just like it would be beyond our ability to pay $5 billion. Okay? So have that in mind. He says he couldn't pay. And so his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Now, Jesus' original audience, they would have started shaking their head. No, you won't. No, you won't. So, so imagine I got up here this morning and I, and I share a personal story. Say, hey, you'll never guess what happened to me. So I had this, I had this big debt, $5 billion. It was my student loans. <laughs> the thing that we can relate to in our culture, right? Anyway, $5 billion. And the bank called me and said, you owe it. I had to pay it today. And so I couldn't pay that. And they said, if you don't repay it, I'm gonna, we're going to sell your home, all your property. In fact, we're going to sell you and your family into slavery to pay it. And so I went over to Wells Fargo, you know, the one over there by, by Winco. And I went into the manager's office and I got on my knees and I begged, please, please be patient with me. I will repay it. And instead of asking me to repay it, he actually said, oh, forget about it. It's no big deal. Can you imagine me telling, can you imagine the joy Can you imagine the amazing excitement that that would be? That's what we want to have here. Not only in the story, understand that, but understand what Jesus is saying. The forgiveness that God offers through Jesus is for all of us, for the sin that we have, is that kind of forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross bearing your sins and mine, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He's, he's, a, he's living, in, the, he's living in over sovereign over all. He's the king in this story. And he offers to forgive you your debt, what you owe because of your sin. And my friends, according to the story, that is no small debt. Now, that would be a great story in and of itself, but the story doesn't end there, right? He says, goes on in verse 26. But the man fell down, I'm sorry, in verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Now, if you owed me a few thousand dollars, I'd want you to pay that. That's not an insignificant amount. But the contrast, right? We need to capture the contrast between five billion dollars and a few thousand, okay? So he owes, this, he owes him a few thousand dollars. He grabs the other servant by the throat and demands an instant payment. 
his fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time and then says the same thing. Jesus is a master storyteller. He says the same thing. Be patient with me. I will pay it. He pleaded. And so if you're listening to the story, you're thinking, absolutely he's going to do that, right? He's going to forgive the debt because he just got his debt forgiven. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Enter into the story. Feel the injustice, right? Just like when we, when we got ourselves into Jerry Sitzer's story. Feel the injustice. That's what Jesus wants for us to experience. No, this shouldn't be as it is. In fact, when he, then he describes these others who saw it, and they had the same reaction. Some of the other servants saw this, and they were very upset. Yes, they were. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And here's, that's the direct link. It's almost it's the same sentence structure as Jesus' prayer. And it's got that as right in the middle. But notice in this story, the weight is different. Shouldn't the servant forgive the little that, that, that he's owed compared to the massive amount he's already been forgiven? That's the basis of our forgiveness is the as. And so it's actually a flow back and forth. We forgive based on how much we've been forgiven. God forgives based on how much we're willing to forgive because they're linked, they're together. Jesus, that's what Jesus wants us to understand here in this story is we can do that because we understand the massive amount that God has already forgiven us. If, if, what, if, if what you owe me is like a crack in the sidewalk, what I have already been forgiven by God is like the Grand Canyon. That's the comparison. For you engineers and accountants in the room, you know, you think of five billion to a few thousand, 10,000 times more. And so what I, want you to, I, want this, I want this to weigh heavily. I want us to really grasp this because I don't think we believe it. What God has already forgiven me is 10,000 times more than the worst you could do to me. Do you believe that? Now I'm going to push on this because I think there are a few in the room who could say yes. Yes, I am fully aware of the horror of my sin. I know that what I'm capable of doing. I've seen it, the damage that it does. Yes. But I also know there's a lot of good church people in here like me who wrestle with that. And you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. The worst you could do to me? I, I don't think so. I don't think God has, really has to forgive me all that much because I'm one of the good guys. I'm one of the good guys. I'm a good person. I can think of a whole lot of other persons who are a lot worse than me. I, didn't, I don't need that much forgiveness. And I, and I, and I know that to be true because I'm, I'm one. I lived the majority of my life from that perspective. Thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy. I don't need that much forgiveness. In fact, I'm a little bit better than... I spent time in the South so I can say, for all y'all. I'm a little bit better. You know, I got it together. And so if you hurt me, I, I have permission. And you know, I'm justified in holding you in contempt. I, I'm justified in not forgiving you because, you know, I'm better than you. Until 
God, in his great mercy, what I would call his severe mercy, cornered me in a way that I could not escape. And not only that, but peeled back the curtain of my own heart and exposed the darkness that had always been in there, but that I had been very clever and good at keeping hidden behind a facade of having it all together. See, what I was very capable of is hurting you because we all hurt each other all the time. And I, and I was good at it. So I could hurt you. But because I had this facade of being a good person, you'd look at me and go, wait a minute, Shane's one of the good guys. Yet it feels like I got hurt and yet he wouldn't hurt me. And so not only would I you'd experience the hurt from me, you'd also experience a nice dosing of shame as well. Imagine living with me. So I saw plainly with new eyes the, the, what, the, the hurt that I am capable of delivering. And I saw that what, God, what, what, what Jesus did, what God did for me through Jesus wasn't a, a band-aid that I needed for a boo-boo. No, we're talking about Jesus giving me CPR on the side of the road from the wreck that I made for my life. This is what Jesus wants us to grasp. And to emphasize is that he ends his story, we haven't hit the end of the story yet, he ends the story with a pretty dire warning. In verse 34, he says, Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. This is no fairy tale. This is not a happy ending. And then he emphasizes it by saying, That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Not just lip service here, from down here. Whoa. Unless you get caught up in the story of, you know, has God an angry God and all that, you know, what, what we need to understand here is, is, this is a this is like a boundary marker. Basically, God warning, Jesus warning, saying, don't go outside of this. Don't go into the danger zone of unforgiveness because, it, because it's, it's, it's harmful for you and it's harmful for those around you. Stay within this zone, this, this place of freedom. Experience the freedom that's available from God through Jesus and live and be one who gives freedom and experiences freedom with others. That's what I want for you. Stay within here. But we'll only be able to do that to the extent that we understand how much we have been forgiven. I love how author Matthew Lynn put it. He said, God's forgiveness towards me and my forgiveness towards another are like the voice and the echo. Like the voice and the echo. So with the time that I have left, I want to get practical about forgiveness. I want to go back to to this man, Jerry Sitzer, who in his chapter on forgiveness, I mean, he writes some of the most important instruction on forgiveness that I've ever come across. And so I'm not going to take any credit for this. I'm going to summarize some of what he taught in that chapter. He says this, he says, he says, forgiveness begins when victims realize that nothing can reverse the wrong done. That's why we usually hang on to unforgiveness or a sense is because we want to try, we, 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 we want to try to, how can I undo that? But you can't undo it. Not, nothing will undo it. Not justice, not, not retribution, not revenge, not, not, you know, nothing. It's still there. It'll still hurt. The second thing, forgiving people decide they would rather live in a merciful universe than a fair one. If you want a fair universe, there's a Hindu set of beliefs you can go to. If you want a merciful universe, which, which is what we need, then you're in the right place. If you, if you struggle with that idea, because I, I know if you're like me, I'm, I grew up with a, that's not fair mentality. But think about it this way. Would you rather God treat you fairly or mercifully? Yeah, give me mercy. 
The third thing, and this is the one that took me a little while to capture, but I love it. It says, before victims can forgive, they must accuse. Now, this one took me a little while to get my mind around because, like, what are you talking about there? And this is where I think, sometimes we think with forgiveness that we need to somehow paper over or pretend it didn't really happen or minimize what actually happened. But no, he's basically saying, no, 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 no. Bring the full weight of it. Understand, no, that hurt me. You sinned against me. It happened. It happened. So that we can then get to forgiveness, which is the fourth thing. And this is what he says. He says, forgiving people give up the right to punish and get even. This goes back to that perfect law of justice that we cannot carry out perfectly. And so we leave it to the only one who can. And we get busy with the work of mercy. Realizing that this is a right not easily relinquished. You have the perfect right. It's there. It's in the law. You just can't fully carry it out, so you relinquish it. Sitzer's loss was huge and tragic. And some of us in here, you're in the middle of something like that. Wrestling with deep, difficult forgiveness. Because you were wronged greatly. All of us experience that hurt on a daily basis. We constantly sin against each other. It happened. We cannot help it. So we're constantly hurting each other. And, and so if we can walk through the cycle of forgiveness that he, that he goes there on a daily basis, we basically say, that happened. I can't reverse it. We say <clears throat> that I would rather live in a merciful universe than a fair one. We say, that really happened. And I'm going to release the right to punish. On a daily basis, if we practice that, then when the big things come, we'll be more ready and able to forgive. If you haven't felt the weight of Jesus' teaching yet, I just want to emphasize here that there's no wiggle room. Notice he has no exceptions. There, 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 there's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's not, you can forgive up until a certain point. There's no limits. It's a lifestyle of forgiveness. I also want to say, though, there are, I want to say some things that forgiveness does not mean because that's really important as well. Forgiveness does not mean, does not automatically change our feelings towards somebody. Okay, those, 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 that's a different process to go through. A lot of times, the feelings take longer to heal after we've made the choice to forgive. Forgiveness does not necessarily move all the consequences for the offender. In fact, sometimes the most loving thing to do is allow the natural consequences to play out. That's often how God in his severe mercy works and brings us to broken places like I described earlier in my own life. The third thing, forgiveness does not give license to misuse or abuse or demand. This is not about giving somebody permission to do whatever they want. This is not permission to, to harm others at all. Oh, you, you need to forgive me. No. Love is mutual. Love respects each other's personhood. It involves boundaries, relational boundaries as we forgive one another. It's also not something we can demand from another. Because there's no business saying you need to forgive me because the Bible says so. Yes, the Bible says so, but forgiveness is always a gift given, never something that can be coerced or demanded. And then the last thing, forgiveness does not automatically bring reconciliation. Forgiveness is a one-sided commitment to extend mercy to another. Reconciliation involves both parties. I forgive, but only we reconcile. And reconciliation involves repentance. It involves agreement. You know, I, I, I make the accusation, if you will, you've sinned against me, and you, you agree with it. Yes, I have sinned against you. Would you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. That's reconciliation. It involves both parties. But forgiveness is still worth it, even without reconciliation. 
That's what we see from Jerry Sitzer. I mean, the other driver never admitted wrong or apologized in any way. So you may wonder, was the forgiveness still important? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the alternative, the alternative is too big a price to pay. And here's what I'd like to close, close with. And this has become just a mantra for me to remind myself of the importance of forgiveness. When I forgive, I set a person free and discover it's me. When I forgive, I set a prisoner free and discover it's me. Would you pray with me? And just in a posture of prayer, I just, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity that to, to acknowledge that there may be some in the room who have never received the forgiveness offered by God through Jesus. You are weight, weighted down by the, by the depths of your sin, wondering, can anything be done about this? And the answer is yes. If you've wandered in here this morning for whatever reason, you don't know why you even came, but now you understand that there's, a, there's an option. Somebody willing and generous to pay your sins, it's available. And so if that's you this morning, if you've never entered into a relationship God through, with God through Jesus, then I would invite you to do so this morning. Don't let another day pass. If that's you, would you pray with me and just say, God, I see, I feel the weight of my sin. I see that you paid the penalty for it. It's a free gift. I want to receive that gift and enter into your family. Would you receive me? And you can know if you pray that prayer, if that's the attitude of your heart, God is ready to receive you into his forever family. And if that's you this morning, I would invite you to take out your Connect card and, and just write on there, I have made a first-time decision to follow Jesus, to be in with God's family. We would love to know that, and we would love to walk with you from here. If this morning this, this message has brought up somebody that you need to forgive, their face is right in front of you in your mind's eye. Maybe it's something small that happened today, maybe even on the way to church. Or maybe it's something huge you've been weighed down with for years. I would just invite you today. Don't let another day go by. Step into that forgiveness. Release the right to punish or get even. And again, I invite you to take out your Connect card and let us know that you're doing that. Maybe even write on there directly, I need to forgive my mom. I need to forgive my dad. I need to forgive my brother, my sister. I need to forgive my boss. Just write it on there so we can join you in praying. And as Kevin mentioned, one of my roles here is to help provide pastoral counseling. If, if you're in a position where you're wrestling with forgiveness or you want to understand more about it, I would love to meet with you. Again, you can use your Connect card for that as well. Just say, I'd like to meet with Shane and make sure your contact information's on there. I'd be happy to meet with you. So Father, we release this time to you, believing that you love us more than we know. Spirit of God, you are working. You are the one who convicts us of truth and leads us to life. So I entrust these words to you. Would you change us through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name.